so it has to be accurate so that when you read the book and you casually read a page and read about what uh, mr kc is eating you will get a very correct idea about the diet and food of the morrens so everything that you read you will uh, get a very accurate idea of that period and that is the reason why i write historical fiction so what is historical fiction it's not fictional history it's called historical fiction for a reason most of it is historically accurate what you just need is a few characters on which to hang the story so mr kc is a character with literary antecedents like i said there are many antecedents i could not tell you more there are many other literary antecedents but she is a fictional character acharya chanakya is not a fictional character chandragupta maurya is not a fictional character there are many characters in the book which are who are real and there are some who are fictional a person who is well versed in the history of that time will be able to recognize the real people it's wonderful also to get a chance to talk about the urnabhi series it is it has been a labor of love i will tell you something about my own journey to writing this book the way this book was published the way it then moved forward into a series and it's all kind of very it's a story full of serendipity so i i am was a bureaucrat in the indian revenue service 1992 batch i worked for 16 17 years and then my husband decided to decide, uh, join the united nations in geneva i had always wanted to write so i took two years off to be with my family and also to write the result of those two years was a book it was not as if uh, i had known nothing about the morians before writing the book i i did because uh, history and ancient india has always been my passion and uh, i have learned sanskrit so that i can read primary sources etc now the book was written but how to publish it and all of us know everyone knows that publishing a book for an outsider who has absolutely you know no connections in the publishing world is not an easy task so i used to write very frequently on a facebook page called the rare book society of india and in that rare book society of india the gentleman who ran the page and who became a very good friend subhaiya yadalam he was somebody who was we were we used to talk to each other so he asked me you write such wonderful little snippets on history why don't you write a book so i said i have written a book and i am looking for publishers so he was the one who got in touch with roly books he sent excerpts from my book to priya priya then read it and got in touch with me and the rest is the urnabhi series so till the book was published priya neelam and i they are the ones who work with the book had never met so vaiya and i have never met so you see these are the wonders of the modern internet age all this happened on uh, a virtual medium so uh, it was not easy to write a book on ancient india a popular book on ancient india because all of you will know from your own reading that ancient india is very very underrepresented historical fiction is not a very uh, popular genre 
माइथोलॉजिकल फिक्शन एंड पौराणिक फिक्शन महाभारत और रामायण फिक्शन इज वेरी पॉपुलर बट हिस्टोरिकल फिक्शन इज नॉट वेरी पॉपुलर देर वेरी फ्यू पीपल हु राइट इट एंड इन इंग्लिश इट्स लाइक ऑलमोस्ट निग्लिजिबल सो एन आई रोट दिस बुक एंड द इंग्लिश is interspersed with a lot of sanskrit so my publishers well they obviously had issues and they asked me are you writing a sanskrit book or an english one it has to be an english one you know so don't use so much sanskrit so you know we went through 13 rounds of editing for the first book and it was quite harrowing because there were some things i was not willing to let go of there are some words which are untranslatable so the first book came out after a lot of hard work on the part of the publisher at me and i was we were thrilled with the response i had not expected that a kind of complex and dense book would be so popular i had always wanted it to be a series so then as soon as uh, you know the first book was published i started writing the second one and uh, more time more research more interaction more in depth knowledge you know i make that web series also morrie lok which we i have spoken about uh, on uh, sangam talks before so my knowledge is increasing as far as the morians are concerned and so i think the depth of the story is also increasing because i feel now that you know almost as if i live in patliputra and that is what i want you to feel also so this was book 1 the story of a modern dancing girl this was book 1 it came out in 2014 this one just out on may 20 uh, april 25th this is chadakya scribe this is book 2 the first thing about the name urnabhi what does urnabhi mean well actually honestly it doesn't mean anything because it comes from the sanskrit word urnabhi and that word means a spider and spider's web this is a tadbhav of that sanskrit word now why spider's web because this story is based on the spy network of acharya chanakya it is based on the extensive spy network which was the invisible web of protection over the entire mauryan empire so i write about this unnabhi where did i get this word from so you know when i i was uh, reading through the upanishads when i was writing the first book also and the upanishads there is this concept of the spider from the spider stomach comes out a web which is like this world full of maya and then that disappears again into the spider stomach so this unnabhi is something like that it is created it is an illusion it is maya it is what the spies do to further the ends of empire and then it comes back again into the spider stomach so you can think of the spy network as the spider's web which appears and disappears at will this was as far as the name was concerned the protagonist had to be a woman there was absolutely no doubt in my mind about that because i don't think that i can really do justice to a story where the protagonist is only a man so the protagonist had to be a woman and a woman who lived on her own terms so i chose a ganika to be the protagonist what is a ganika a ganika is a courtesan deluxe she is lady who is 
very very well versed in all the 64 arts in the ved vedang all the chaturdash vidyasthanam she is beautiful she is talented she is a gem amongst women and she is the concept of the ganika was very closely related with the political social and cultural network of those times of ancient india these were women who had their say in politics who had their say in society and who were looked upon with great prestige so don't think of them as the very you know today being a prostitute is not something anyone looks up to sex workers are not really given their due it is not seen as something wonderful to do so don't think of them as prostitutes because there were many levels of ganikas there were also so to speak common prostitutes who were called the roop jivikas but the ganikas were different now this ganika had also to be someone with a lot of links between the actual history of the time as well as the literary history of the time so where does my protagonist come from where does miss rakesi come from she is a spy she becomes a spy in the pay of chanakya but how did i visualize this character where did she come from so at the same time i was reading the natya shastra the natya shastra is the treatise on dramaturgy on uh, geet vadya natya nritya theater and you must all have heard of it written by bharat muni so at the beginning of the natya shastra lord brahma creates two dancers who are going to give the exposition of dance theater to the entire world now these two were sukeshi and mistra keshi so anyone who has read book 1 will know that sukeshi and mistra keshi are two sisters mistra keshi comes to patliputra to avenge the death of her sister sukeshi who was the leading courtesan leading ganika of patliputra she thinks that acharya chanakya has had her killed and she decides that she is going to come to patliputra and kill acharya chanakya how does this all pan out of course you have to read book 1 for that but she meets him and uh, a lot of her thinking changes and she actually starts working for him starts working for the morians but mr kesi is also an apsara i'm telling you about the way the character came to came to me in my mind so she is also an apsara an apsara who is mentioned in the abhigyan shakuntalam so i envisioned this very delicate beautiful talented dancer but with a core of steel somebody who looked delicate but who was very very strong and her strength is needed in the trials that come to her in her stay in patliputra in her work as a spy her handler her spy master is someone called pushyamitra who is the male protagonist and in book 1 they have a stormy relationship and um, well that relationship is resolved in some way i can't give you spoilers for book 1 but I, because i will move on to book 2 book 1 shows us the morrens who have just come to patliputra so dhananand the nand dynasty was the one before the morrian dynasty dhananand has been overthrown chandragupta has been anointed as the king but he is not really the king in the sense that all the strings of power are not in his hands so they are still struggling and that struggle has to be carried on by the spies in their 
administration. So how does the Mauryan Empire then extend from Magadh to the north, that is up till Gandhar? How does it come to the south? How does it come to the east and west in the Indian subcontinent? What does the spy system, what role does it have to play? That was the story of book one. When we start with book two, this is the one Chanakya scribe. Mr. Casey, after all her adventures, is now the assistant of Acharya Chanakya. She is in the department of the Prashastras. That is the department of scribes, the ones who wrote the shasans and administrative orders, etc. So there was a separate department in the modern administration for that. She is a scribe. She is now at the beginning of book one, married, pregnant, very dissatisfied with her life. Because this is not where she thought she was going to end up. She has not been trained or brought up to uh, think of herself as a wife and a mother. So pregnancy, marriage, family, she is not able to deal with it. And in chapter one, you see a very, very dissatisfied protagonist, very dissatisfied heroine wondering what she should do with her life because life has somehow dumped her somewhere where she doesn't want to be. So what is she going to do now? How is she going to pick up the threads of her life and do something with her life which she wants to do? Because uh, for quite some time, the idea of being a mother does not appeal to her. She had never thought that she would be a mother. She's also a wife. She's also a daughter-in-law. She's also a sister-in-law. She has to deal with these family relationships on the one hand. On the other hand, she's one of the assistants of Acharya Chanakya. But she isn't getting an audience with him. She isn't getting to do any work. She has not found her place in the administration. So she's struggling professionally as well as personally. So how will this struggle play out? The relationship between her and her husband is also a little difficult because there are a lot of other women in his life or so she thinks. How are all these things going to work out? The background of this is the extension of the Mauryan Empire into parts beyond the Indian subcontinent, that is into Afghanistan. The big Central Asian Empire at that time was that of Seleucus. The Seleucids were the big empire which came after Alexander, the Greek king, he, he conquered extensive territories and then he died. And all his generals, they were called the Diadochi, they fought with each other about who would get which part. So Seleucus managed to grab quite a bit of it. And he's, his empire, the Seleucids, were the big empire in Central Asia. Then you have India and then you have a lot of trade routes, a lot of places where their interests clash. So the conflict between the Seleucids and the Mauryans had to happen. There was no other way out to resolve this. So how did this conflict work out? What did the Mauryans do? What did the Seleucids do? What was the politics like? How did they finally resolve the situation? This is the story of Chanakya's crime. It's very personal at one level because it is a story of a woman who's trying to sort out her life. And at the other level, it is vast, political, 
it is at the level of empires and how do the personal and the political collide with each other and affect each other that is the story of mr casey's life she has to keep many domestic turbulences under control she has to keep many personal turbulences under control and yet keep working for the extension of the mauryan empire one thing which i would actually like to say before you know this is the story and i don't want to tell you anything more because there are going to be spoilers but i can just say that she fights very hard to uh, make herself professionally settle herself professionally give herself good professional standing on the other hand she is being attacked physically there someone is trying to kill her so she has also got to protect herself who is trying to kill her and why what is the reason why somebody should want her and her unborn child dead these are the things she has to grapple with the story moves on along with the a picture of the mauryan empire as it ran day to day the different administrative uh, areas the different social and cultural areas so i have tried to give you like i said a 360 degree view i want you to feel that you are sitting in patliputra and watching all this happen all around you there are the books uh, as uh, tanya had said the book is based on a lot of um, primary sources well, the one of the main primary sources of course is the arthashastra and that i have uh, almost everything is structured according to the arthashastra so the politics is structured according to one of the elements of the saptang state which i have spoken about last year at such great length which is called mitra which is all the neighboring kingdoms around you so around the mauryan kingdom in the southern part of the country our country were the cholas cheras pandyas and the satyaputas because they were not part of the mauryan empire they were allies and friends of the mauryans and had very close relations with them uh, also in uh, sri lanka part of sri lanka was also very closely related to the mauryan empire how did these relationships work then what about the rest of the asian countries what about the rest of the countries which were in the continent of europe how did the mauryans actually operate as a global empire that background is also there they acted as a global empire and the relationship between these different constituent countries i have tried to work that out according to the theory of mitra which is there which is diplomatic relations between different nations with our own nation the king at the head of our own nation as the vijigishu the conqueror who has to deal with friends foes enemies everything so i have put the world politics at that time into the framework of mitra and a lot of the information that is there like uh, i have been emphasizing and saying many times that all this is based on primary sources so you will perhaps not get this kind of information or this kind of background setting anywhere else because uh, primary sources are often not relied upon by people who write historical fiction i know of very few perhaps i don't know anyone who writes historical fiction in english and reads sanskrit i'd love to know anyone else if there is someone like that i'd love to know them but i don't think so so primary so therefore i feel it will give you a completely fresh look 
a completely fresh look at the Mauryan period, at the story of a person, you know, at the story of a woman. She's a woman like many of us over here. How does she live her life? You know, there are no isms, there is there's no feminism, etc., etc. But she is a strong woman leading a, or trying to lead a fulfilling life. How does that work? So you will get a lot of personal uh, stories, you'll get a lot of political stories, you'll get a lot of background, you'll get a lot of danger, intrigue, excitement. So you will have fun reading the book and you will also learn a lot. After you read the book, you'll be experts in the Mauryan period, believe me. I don't want to tell you any more about the story because I feel that, uh, you know, it will be a spoiler. If I tell you any more, then... See, because it's a story of mystery, thrill and suspense. So I cannot tell you more than what happens in the first chapter. Otherwise, uh, the whole uh, point of the suspense will be lost. So I just want to know that the way you have so beautifully and so intriguingly kind of interwoven, you know, the whole political, social and uh, you research so much to get all these things very accurately and you insert a fictional story into it to intrigue uh, the reader. So I want to know that how do you do this? I mean, how? what was the motivation for you to keep it so real and then also weave in a fictional story into it? So Tanya, history has been my passion always. So it was a no-brainer that I would write about something that happened in the past. And then also, how would I write it? It's a, a melding of, uh, you know, information and entertainment. Now, for instance, you know, I myself, you know, I love the genre of mysteries and thrillers. So I myself, I'm reading a book right now, which is set in Singapore of the 1930s. And it is giving me a perspective on the Indian fight for freedom from the point of view of South Asian and Southeast Asian countries. How did it work out? What did they think? What did the Indians who were there, say, in Malaysia or Singapore, what did they think? What did they do? And I find it absolutely fascinating. So my idea has always been that when you read historical fiction, the setting should be absolutely authentic, accurate, well-researched. So that, you know, uh, I don't uh, say things like, you know, anomalous things which were not there during that period and I start talking about it. So, uh, you know, if I start talking about uh, Chola bronzes in the modern period, that's wrong. There were no Chola bronzes in the modern period. I mean, the, that kind of uh, bronze sculpting was not there. So I should not write about it. Or what kind of food was eaten? I have to write about food which was eaten then. So I cannot say uh, that they ate, uh, you know, burgers or noodles. They did not. They ate something else. So it has to be accurate so that when you read the book and you casually read a page and read about what uh, Mr. Casey is eating, you will get a very correct idea about the diet and food of the Mauryans. So everything that you read, you will uh, get a very accurate idea of that period. And that is the reason why I write historical fiction. So what is historical fiction? It's not fictional history. It's called historical fiction for a reason. Most of it is historically accurate. What you just need is a few characters on which to hang the story. 
So Mr. Casey is a character with literary antecedents. Like I said, there are many antecedents. I could not tell you more. There are many other literary antecedents. But she is a fictional character. Acharya Chanakya is not a fictional character. Chandragupta Maurya is not a fictional character. There are many characters in the book which are, who are real. And there are some who are fictional. A person who is well-versed in the history of that time will be able to recognize the real people. But uh, yes, for the person who picks up this book without actually being a great expert or knowing a lot about the modern period, they may get, they may be a little confused about who is real, who is not. So uh, the people you recognize, I mean, you'll recognize Chandragupta and Chanakya, obviously. There are also some minor characters who are also from the real people who lived in that period, especially the intellectuals and the knowledgeable people and the prominent people who lived at that time. Another person in the book, another character in the book is also a real person. His name is Katyayan. He was also a real person, a grammarian, an intellectual, and a person who's mentioned many times in the history of the past. So perhaps it would be an interesting exercise for you to see how many of these people you recognize and how many of them uh, you feel are fictional and how many of them are real. But the thing about historical fiction is that it should very easily, in a very digestible form, give you a lot of information about the past. And for someone, see, I like reading, maybe I love reading Sanskrit texts and read it the whole day and I read all kinds of dense academic stuff. There may be people who may not want to do all that, but they still want to know. So this is what makes such perhaps dense knowledge very easily accessible to anyone. You will enjoy reading it and you will learn about it. So historical fiction is all about presenting reality with a little tinge of imagination because this is not a history book it's you know it's a story book it's it's for fun but the fun beneath the fun the layers beneath the fun are for it is for learning for information so i love this genre of historical fiction because the morrens are the ones who uh, set the template of this country it's not as if our civilization started with the Mauryans, but they set the template of the country in the subcontinent. And there's so many things we have taken from the Mauryans, the lion capital, the rupee, so many things, the peacock. So we are the modern Mauryans. It's important for us to know our foundational empire. So for me, again, of course, born in Patliputra, born in Patna, so it was again very natural. But uh, also because of the kind of parallels that are very clear between the Mauryans and us, which is, however, very much obscured by time. And the dust of time is such that it obscures everything. Thank you, Sumedha ji. And I also wanted to know that, you know, the primary sources that you, uh, you delved into when you go back to, how easily are they available? And what all did you do to gather those? Must have not been an easy task. Tanya, when I started off, this was a, a very long time ago, 2000, 2008, 2007, 2007. That's when I started off on this journey. So, of course, it took um, seven years for the first book to come out and another seven for the next book to come out. But hopefully the third one will come out much quicker than that. So for this, what do I need? What are the sources of evidence? One is... Sanskrit texts. The other for this were Greek 
texts then there are inscriptions which are found on pillars on stone vases on many things so all mauryan inscriptions which are called epigraphs another thing was uh, from coins so numismatics another thing another source is archaeological remains so what you for example you find ashokan pillars free standing ashokan pillars or you find uh, you know the ruins at sarnath all those so how do you study those for the archaeological remains there are archaeological reports and my goodness they are not easily available the asi does not make it easy for you to read any of their reports so getting them is an exercise in patience sanskrit texts were very very difficult to get in 2007 as time has passed however the digitization of sanskrit texts has become much better so uh, now they are often available on the internet so i can get a lot of texts there i have also i mean i buy a lot of books and my friends who come from india are always getting kilos and kilos of books from india for me getting primary sources is uh, is quite a task and that is the main task that is the main task so i do look at uh, you know internet repositories such as archive.org then you have jstor and then you have uh, you know lots of books and uh, inscriptions and uh, things have become much easier things are improving when i go to delhi also for example i am able to access a lot of libraries they are making their rules much easier so you can access those libraries and go in there but it requires a lot of patience a lot of patience because something that you want to know like right now you know i am now kind of uh, thinking very hard about writing a little paper on ashokan pillars the inscriptions on ashokan pillars and where they are found in the arthashastra because it's all it all bases itself on the arthashastra for whatever stories you may have heard about ashok only uh, becoming buddhist and doing everything according to uh, buddhist tenets his inscriptions can all be found in the arthashastra so i'm thinking of doing a, a a paper on this one so then where do i get the proper text the original text of all these inscriptions so i have to go back to those asi reports or i have to go to that place and take pictures and read those inscriptions the text of the arthashastra fine it's now easily available no problem but the other side to get authentic inscriptions of the mauryan pillars it will require a kind of field trip it will require a field study so that field study is a, a problem for me a bit of a problem because it's not easy for me to go always but one manages that's why you know it takes decades and 15 years that's why it takes so much time my god isn't that fascinating to write a historical fiction book you undertake this entire you know kind of is a penance you know even when i tweet i don't tweet without checking primary sources so any time if you just read a tweet of mine and ask me a question about okay so where is the evidence from where is the primary evidence i'll give it all to you because i will read it first reread it and then i will post it so that's a kind of special obsession of mine i guess thank god for that obsession that you have that we have a book which is uh, you know informative as well as authentic and we also get intrigued with it may your tribe grow sumedha ji and may you continue thank you i'd love my tribe to grow i would love to you know chat with people who do the same thing yes no you are you are rare and i think this is something which is unique actually to be very honest 
so if somebody sends me a picture or somebody writes text then i immediately parse it and see okay these things are not right because this is not right for the modern period this is what it was like so perhaps i am a bit of an obsessive on that but i want everything to be authentic and correct i've told you you know we have had discussions on uh, when we uh, the moral look that we are doing what i speak the illustrations that we do we spend hours and hours and hours researching everything for authenticity it's an obsession of mine and i, I wish that obsession would be more common absolutely so uh, one needs the persistence like you also to do that and very few are gifted with that sumedha ji i've dropped links in the chat box for everybody to sumedha ji's latest book unnavi chanakya scribe and also her channel youtube channel bharat kirti which has a beautiful series even in our last talk the mitra one uh, mm. sumedha ji brought along the researcher another lady who's a bureaucrat also and she explained the detail with which they make these series and it's a visual delight to see on her youtube channel please do click on the link you the two are connected if you watch all those episodes and you read chanakya scribe alongside then your whole experience of the book will be at a totally different level it will be in a different dimension so i have not uh, i mean here i have not told you the story of how morelok was born but it was born because when urnabhi came out then people kept on getting in touch with me what does this mean what does that mean we don't understand this we don't understand that so then i i was at that time i started a page and i uh, used to post something uh, under the head of the world of urnabhi so i wrote things about okay the clothes the food the administration politics etc etc then i wrote on similar lines a historical column in swarajya on the same things and then i realized that you know people like watching videos perhaps it's an easier way of communicating so then all this was put together and the world of urnabhi became morelok and if you watch morelok it will add a lot to your chanakya scribe experience and i've written that in the at the end of the book please do purchase this book we need to support wonderful authors like sumedha ji and we also need to support her channel namaste sumedhi uh, so good to see very you. nice to see you again yes very good to see you too looking lovely as always yes, thank you. Thank so you. my question is about your protagonist right so you have said that you know it's great to know the work you do first of all thank you very much for the kind of dedication and this it is very rare like tanaji said it's, it's a very rare thing so your protagonist is set in the modern you know and she is a ganika basically and you're saying that she's caught in this whole sort of you know uh, like sort of a whatever phase that she's going through she's pregnant she's this and that now i uh, wanted to just find out is that a bit of like a fictional imagination or you know because one would imagine in these kind of empires which were you know because i remember in your first talk you talked about all the systems and all the sort of uh, processes they had in place for administration for social uh, organization integration so on would it not be that ganikas just like any other part of the administration would be so loyal you know to the empire that there would be no question of any dilemma or any you know man mein duvidha kuch hai nahi bas ye karna hai that kind of thing na they would be like that that it would be like a mission for them yeah or not or do you think they would have the freedom to be you know just that yeah that. so that's very interesting because that's exactly what mr kesi also thinks i am a ganika and i know what i have to do i have no doubts about it but you see what has happened is that she has sold out from being a ganika and i mean sold out literally because during the during modern times 
uh, Ganika was a state employee. And if she wished to leave the life of a Ganika, she could pay a certain amount of money to the state, leave the life of a Ganika and become a Grihast. So I don't know if you've read the first book, but at the end of the first book, this whole process is described about how this happens. And Mr. Kesi, who was a spy, a Ganika, she knew exactly who she was. She knew exactly what she had to do. But you see, her place in the world has changed. She was a Mauryan employee, spy, Ganika. Now she is a Grihast, a Grihapatni, a mother-to-be. Also still an employee, but not a spy. Now she is in the business of or in the area of writing down administrative orders for the entire kingdom. So the dilemma, the dissonance arises because a place in the world has changed and she has to define it. So at the beginning of this book, she is struggling with defining her new space, her new persona, her new personality. And that is what gives rise to a lot of competing thoughts. She is not used to the idea of being a mother. She is not used to the idea of being a wife. She had never thought she would do all this. The mission mode that you speak of, her mission mode was as a Ganika. She was trained, brought up and uh, absolutely certain that that's how she would live and die. But there has been this sudden change in her life. She has now become a Grihast. And how should she behave as a Grihast and an administration uh, person in the Mauryan Empire? Whereas earlier, she was a Ganika and a spy. She is no longer, okay, again, I don't want to give out any more spoilers. But a short answer to your question would be that the dissonance arises because her space has changed and her place has changed and she has to define it. Namaste, Namaste. Uh, nice Namaste. to see you after a long time. Yes. I read the book like halfway. I couldn't uh, complete yet. Yeah, but there is a, a disclaimer in the end of the book. It says uh, it should be like soon to be a major TV production. So this is valid or? Yes, uh, yes, yes. So, you know, we are working at it. And uh, the film and TV industry is a very crazy one. So sometimes, you know, like you are almost like signing the contract tomorrow and then no, 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 some other change comes in. So I can definitely tell you that we are working on it and I hope to have some announcement. But before something concrete happens and the dotted line is signed, one cannot say anything. Yeah, I'm actually uh, waiting for it. And I have a uh, like, uh, question related to, not related to the book. Related to the Chanukya's uh, Arthashastra. So, say if I want to uh, start an Indic uh, political party. So, if this book, if I refer, is, is this enough or uh, I need to go? No, so then you see, if you want to know about the tradition of politics and how the state, the citizen is envisaged and what is the duty of the state towards the citizen, the best exposition is uh, the most uh, detailed exposition is found in the Arthashastra, but it's not a standalone document because uh, the Arthashastra talks about, say, let's call it ancient Indian political science. The theory is very old. You will find it in the Mahabharata, in the Sabhapar. You will find it also in the Ramayana. You will also find it in so many other commentaries, both before 
as well as after chanakya so just reading the arthashastra will of course it will give you a, an excellent idea and uh, it's a it's not an easy task so even if you manage to read the arthashastra and understand it wonderful kudos to you and you will be all set but just don't forget that it's not stand alone there is a long tradition behind it much of which is mentioned in the uh, book itself and there is a long tradition after it which i feel still needs uh, you know little more uh, of research and exposition you know for example if you uh, read the tirukural and see what parallels can be drawn with the arthashastra then there was someone called kamandaki later in the 8th 9th century who also wrote something on the arthashastra commentary and you know some uh, people say that kamandaki was a woman so it, that's a very interesting thought that was just an aside my point is that don't treat the arthashastra as a stand alone manual for your purposes however if you do read it and if you do understand it it's a good beginning it's a good base on which you to stand an excellent base on which to stand thank you and very good evening to everybody here sumedha ji in your opinion what is the date of chandragupta maurya now that's a very excellent very controversial and very difficult question the chronology of the mauryans is not something on which the last word has been said when i write these books i start with the premise that it was around 321 bce that chandragupta was anointed as king but i would be the first to admit that this whole story this whole chronology of the mauryans has many many holes as many holes as a sea in fact again i have mentioned this on one of the talks i think because this is a common question i have myself written a paper on the chronology of the mauryans and tanya i think uh, you know uh, i wrote it for uh, ignca if i can get permission from them i will share it with you and you know see if people want to read it so the kind of evidence which has been shown to say that sandrakotas of the greeks was chandragupta of our chandragupta of the mauryans and that ashok was the same as the piyadasi found in sri lanka there is a lot of evidence you cannot say that it is you know kind of evidence less however there are many many holes in that evidence problem is that the, the uh, whole work of demolishing that evidence has not been done properly the paper i wrote also at the end stated that these 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 are the things which we need to research because there are issues of looking at inscriptions and understanding them of looking at the lineages and chronologies of many different nations and seeing which king was there at which period there are problems of translation so if you translate something in a particular way it points to a particular period you translate something in a different way it points to a different period then again one in one of ashok's inscriptions a number of kings have been mentioned of egypt of here or there so then there have been tried to be correlations that if he is mentioning this king and this king ruled in egypt at this time you know so obviously then this must be the period but then there are two or three kings of that name in the history of that nation so which one was meant so you see things are not at all straightforward if you ask me what was the date of the mauryans 
at this point of time i don't think anybody is qualified to answer and for me when i started writing this it was a very good question and it was something that i wrestled with because i am not convinced about this 321 bce but there is no other evidence properly gathered collated and accepted at the moment and we had this in, uh, two three years ago we had this huge conference at the ignca on this subject where a number of people had come from uh, you know of different periods somebody who was talking about the date of gautam buddh the problem start from there the problem start from the dating of gautam buddh buddh according to the daughter record of the chinese because a lot of the mauryan kings are again related to the date of gautam buddh so in some the problem of the chronology of ancient india is a big one it needs to be attacked on an evidentiary basis it needs to be attacked using many different kinds of evidence not just text but you have to corroborate those texts or you know like for example some people use astronomical events which are mentioned in certain texts but then that is also a matter of interpretation so i don't know if all of you have heard of the very eminent uh, history of ancient mathematics uh, historian ck raju he was there at that chronology conference and he uh, was explaining to a lot of the younger people about how evidence works and how you cannot look at just one source anything that you get you must corroborate it from all sides unfortunately this kind of work has not been done so merely to say that this is wrong takes us nowhere we have to know where to go what is right that what is right has not been answered much research needs to be done i hope it gets done in the correct way right now i am not very optimistic and i have no opinion to offer right now because i feel the evidence has not been collated and organized properly and i don't like to talk without evidence for people who are really interested i will give references of a couple of books i'll send it to you a little later to give the specific reference they have written very well on this subject so maybe people can try and read those books also also sumedha ji is there on twitter so she is at sv ojha that's her twitter handle at sv ojha please do follow her and she's very active there and she would definitely let everybody know when the paper is published and so, you know even on twitter you can ask me any question that you want to ask any time yes so please do um, visit her twitter profile and uh, follow her and uh, you won't be disappointed definitely not namaste sumita ji namaste very nice to see you arvind ji wonderful to see you so apart from the primary historical sources were there influences of previous uh, attempts at fiction as well starting from say the mudra rakshasa uh, or even more attempts to portray the historical period like chandraprakash dwedi ji a tele series or manoj joshi's uh, play on chanakya so even if only to avoid missteps based on the resources available at the time were those uh, influences or uh, resources you consulted in any way so the uh, arvind ji i try, i like to think of the urnabi series as a sequel to mudra rakshas book 1 begins exactly where mudra rakshas leaves off and uh, i was talking about literary antecedents 
so there are so many of the characters of mudra rakshas i don't know if you've read it you'll recognize them siddhartha kensu siddhartha and the dancing girl who is killed at the, in the middle of the story so i have i think i have continued the story of the mudra rakshas and uh, sukeshi is the dancing girl who dies in mudra rakshas i've just given her a name and a sister and hung the story on that sister so uh, siddhartak of that book is siddhartak of my book also if you remember siddhartak was a spy in mudra rakshas if you've read it so siddhartak of mudra rakshas and siddhartak of the urnabi series are the same i have even you know i have tried to portray even the character this in the same way as vishakthat did so lots of books a uh, lots of people from that small characters big characters in fact even pushya mitra is based on a combination of siddhartak and susiddhartak although of course then you know i had another idea about uh, pushya mitra and i connected him to the sungas as an ancestor of that pushya mitra sunga who will overthrow the mauryans for certain reasons which will be clear as the story progresses mudra rakshas was uh, you know it was uh, what was at the back of my mind when i was writing uh, the urnabi series and i'm so glad you asked that of course you will because you are a very learned person and you know all these things normally nobody asks me i have to tell them that look there is this play mudra rakshas and i think that i'm writing a sequel to that as far as chandra prakash trivedi is concerned i am a great admirer of chandrakash trivedi and a great admirer of his of the series that he made his research is tremendous his research is admirable if there is you know anybody whose research i can actually look at and whenever i check it you know even this say the speech that is uh, given by alexander or uh, in that serial or some of the things which are spoken by some of the characters if you go back and research primary sources you will find them there so chandra prakash dwivedi is an amazing researcher and yes i did watch that series before i wrote my own book i did watch that series i watched that series very often i think it's a beautifully made series and very very authentically done my only wish is that you know the production values had been a little better the production values are quite poor but the authenticity of that series is pretty good i am not fully happy with the clothes i don't think they really got the clothes absolutely right and some of the settings and the buildings and the architecture maybe not so like not 100% but it's a very authentic series and the context events dialogues they are very authentic and very beautifully researched you asked me about something else was these were the two things and was there one more thing ha uh, there was also play uh, on chanakya by ha ha no that i i don't like it very much i mean i've read mm-hmm. it but uh, that i don't like too much it's it, you know because then uh, there are actually so many other jay shankar prasad also wrote chandrakuk yes and uh, a lot of other people have also written about and uh, i think acharya chatursen and also uh, k munshi hasn't k munshi has also written a book on the morning period so sometimes i find that my idea of the authenticity of that period does not always sync with the other people who have written it 
because i find like i said i'm obsessive about these things so i find some false note somewhere and then you know i don't like it but the mudra rakshas definitely mudra rakshas is book 0 of the urnabi series thank you i'm looking you. forward to read the books before the tele series comes out <laughs> please do please do if you haven't please do read the books and read book 1 and then read book 2 are you conducting any course on the arthashastra it would be helpful if she transfers her immense knowledge to people who want to know from the authentic sources so i have conducted one course and uh, i do conduct uh, you know kind of like mini workshops two day three day mini workshops so in case uh, i conduct uh, any others i will be in touch about uh, you know i i will be in touch via sangam talks itself yes, but you know i want to say something over here and what i want to say is reading historical fiction is maybe for fun but it is also something to just get you in touch with your past and why are there not more people writing historical fiction our own stories of the people who have gone before us i grew up reading an author called jean pleading so i could reel off to you the names of each and every king and queen of england for the past 1000 years 1500 years because i read those books she wrote about everyone she wrote about all their reigns and she was not the only one there are so many people who write about their own country's past and when you read those you learn about it in a very easy and automatic way that has not happened in our country and i really don't know the reason why when i first went with this book to a publisher with the idea of this book i was laughed off and the publisher said listen nobody wants to read about chandragupta maurya you live in switzerland you write something about nris we'll publish it right did not want to write about nris i wanted to write about our past and i want everyone to know about our past i don't understand why people do not write more read more why do we not know our own history very well through easy to read entertaining books all of you as readers please make your preferences known to publishers and to those who write books that you want books on these subjects i actually had an observation to the point you made uh, ma'am but why don't we write more now i think from all these years and all the controversies that have been going on and all the readings that we've been doing one of the things that's come out is actually that we especially hindus we are oral people it's all come down orally so we really don't have any interest we don't pay any importance to scribing things in fact i even read a few years ago that bhagavad gita was actually transcribed and put into a because of the british because they love doing these they just love scribing and keeping everything you know that that's just what what the english love doing otherwise we don't because it just passes from generation to generation by lord it's a very big problem i totally agree with you that that's a huge huge lapse even in terms of history in terms of everything we don't have whereas even contemporary history also i mean even what you know about historical fiction i mean i would like to sort of draw the attention of everyone here and also somebody that you might have read uh, khalid husaini khalid husaini when i read years years ago when he wrote his books so he's a very good writer and the thing what you get is you get a real glimpse of life of how it was in afghanistan and how it still is now with with the taliban back he has really done it very well especially going and you know describing the whole female perspective which he talked about again because he had so many sisters i think he was the only brother so he could actually 
see through that. And it's a great way to actually know what's happening. But historical fiction, at least writers like you, and you're, you're perhaps the only one who's, who's doing it as an Amish Tripathi uh, to a certain extent going way back, which is also interesting. But contemporarily, also nobody wants to write about anything. We have so many issues, and yet we don't have to. It's, it's, it's no, but the Panjali, there's no dearth of books being published. There's so many books being published all the time, self-publishing, publishers, books, mm-hmm. and more books and more books. But uh, what are the topics people choose? These topics are very far away from any kind of either contemporary history or the past. So it's not as if people are not writing at all. I do get your point about total civilization. And I think you have a good point there. Perhaps because, you know, we do disseminate things uh, in uh, uh, tradition, in traditional ways. But uh, remember, those traditional ways have broken down. What exists today is YouTube videos in the name of oral tradition. And many of those YouTube videos are nothing but nonsense. So uh, many of those traditions have broken down and new ones have not come in their place. But the choice of topics also, I mean, what do people write about today? You know, there's, it's all about some kind of modern societal angst. The more angst you show, the better it is and the more awards you get. So I personally find it difficult to read such books, but they are popular. And uh, writing about history is not popular. Is it because you don't want to read? I mean, as readers, you can tell me. Is it that people don't want yes. to read history? Yes. Yes, yes. That's what it is. Then, of course, there's no solution. Because I think even from um, our school days, most teachers, very few history teachers actually instill a love of history in there. So most of us don't. Go, like Some of us are, are great. We, we you know, enjoy our uh, you know, history. We, like, we want to know more. But as such, the, the larger mass of a classroom, they're not really bothered. Even mm-hmm. history or geography or any of these subjects are actually very interesting. I, I just thought of as very routine and, you know, focus is always on engineering, karna, medicine, that, that sort of thing. Oh, right? well, yes. Yeah. So no one's interested. No one's interested in our past. Uh, so it's an uphill fight for people like me. Very uphill fight. Totally. But we'll do it. All the best. Yes, we'll All do the it best. with the support of readers. Totally, totally. Yes, so Dipanjali ji was saying she'll buy the book and I request... I mean, as a third person, Prasangam talks, please buy Sumedha Ji's books. Please read her articles, share it and support people like her. We need people like her. And uh, I drop links with the book to purchase on the chat and also her YouTube channel. Please subscribe. As Sumedha Ji said that we need to let the publishers know that this is what we like. So it's a, it's a fight from our end also. Alone, she won't be able to do it. So, uh, thank you so much, Sumedha ji. We'll have you back. Thank, thank you. you, Tanya. Thank you, Shruti. Thanks to everyone who is here. And do get back to me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And give me your thoughts on the book. Any questions? I would love all of them. I would love to give you a background to whatever has been written in the book. How I wrote it. And, you know, lots of extra stuff. So, get in touch. Thank you.